Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Pass the Syrup. It is the podcast that tries to pour a little syrup on quite a lot of waffle that we seem to experience in the world of a state agency. Um, it's out there in its droves, and I think most of us are sick and tired of it. So we get three great guests on every week, and they give us their views on what's going on in the world. Today, extraordinarily exciting episode, because I've got three powerhouses of a state agency, well-known going to say well liked but i don't want to get into that uh but they're definitely well known um extraordinary amount of experience um this is going to be this is going to be a good one i know it is so first up we've got angie cooney um i've got some great texts off angie she sent one last night to a group which i won't share because but she did say she puts the c in c residential and i couldn't agree more angie cooney um esther's number one agent which means she's got more friends and family willing to vote for her than anyone yeah, else in the country. Um, Angie, how are you, my love? All right, thank you. Not bad. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. Next up, Simon Bradbury runs Tom and Morris, Thomas Morris, sorry, seven branches across Bedfordshire, Hertfordshire, Cambridgeshire. Unbelievable business, award-winning business. Also, Simon is a part of Finding Country, and so I've been in many a meeting with him. And this is one of the most outspoken people I've ever seen on a Zoom. I cannot wait. Simon, how are you, mate? I'm utterly fabulous. Thank you for caring. <laughs> Finally, we have James White of Belong Estate Agents from West Yorkshire. Now, I know I've built a relationship with James just through our social media interactions. This is the first time I've actually spoken to James on this podcast, which is amazing. Shows you power social media. But if anyone else follows James on social media... You all must be wondering the same question as me. When does he have any time to do any estate agency work? The man is a content machine, um, and it's normally really good stuff. James, how are you, mate? I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm taking a break from all the waffle that's inside my own head today, Ben. So, uh, yeah, I mean, how do I find time? I, I'm an insomniac. That's all it is, really. Dead easy. Okay. All right. Actually, then I can relate because, yeah, I, I've people question me about content. And, yeah, it's the lack of sleep that allows me to fill the time. So uh, we've got is. that in common for sure. Right, guys, we are going to chime straight in. We're going to get onto a big, heavy subject, interest rate rise. There's no getting away from it. It's everywhere you look. My seven-year-old could tell me about the interest Bank of England interest rate rise. It's so well covered in the media. 13th rate rise consecutive, half a percent, took us from four and a half to five percent. Fixed rate mortgages are now two-year average is above six percent. Five-year average is just below six percent. There's a lot of communication there's a lot being thrown out there um it's in obviously we know in theory it's to, it's to combat inflation which in may was still somewhere between eight and a half and nine percent which is high we know um what does this mean because there's a lot of coverage but actually there's not a lot of analyzing what this means simon what are your takes on this well i think that when we look at our businesses particularly in a state agency there are things that you can control or influence and there are things that you can't control or influence and interest rates are one of those things that you can't control or even influence. Every single person I would imagine in the UK, including one of your children by the sound of it, is aware now of what's happened with interest rates. Everyone's aware of it. So when we go out to see vendors on valuations and these things, they will know, even though they might want to share it with you, the negative impact potentially that interest rate increases potentially could have on the marketplace. So that's a good thing that most of our potential vendors or vendors will be educated that this is already having, and I'm just calling it as I see it, already having an impact. 
But as with a lot of these threats, there are significant opportunities. And uh, I see two potential real opportunities that we're certainly seeking to take advantage of at, 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 at Thomas Morris. Um, the first one is, um, I don't know everybody else, but we have um, a very strong relationship with uh, Mortgage Brokerage Embrace Financial Services, uh, who do tremendous work. And we've got six uh, advisors across the seven branches, so nearly one advisor for each branch. And the opportunities, therefore, to be presenting to potential buyers and sellers in terms of getting their mortgages reviewed, but everything is such turmoil, and there's so much fear around. And remember, fear is a bigger motivator to most people in the sales situation than opportunity. So there's plenty of fear around, and we can take advantage, if that doesn't sound too crude, of that fear and concern by uh, making sure that everybody sees our financial service advisors. Uh, so I see great opportunity there. The other opportunity, which I alluded to earlier, is if you know your stuff, when you go out and evaluation, one of the first questions I tend to ask in evaluation is, what do you think is happening in the marketplace? If you can confront them with the truth, with the reality of what's happening with mortgages and demonstrate your knowledge and your access to additional knowledge to financial advisors, that really is going to make you stand out from the other agents who, for the most part, are going to put their heads in the sand. That's what I think. Completely agree. Um, I, I'm an advocate of day-to-day -day data. I'm not saying it should, you know, it, it should drive everything, but to provide that level of pressurism, provide context around what the market's doing based on real data as opposed to just bias opinion, that I feel personally my social media feed, which I've leaned more and more away from, is just flooded with bias opinion of estate agents who have had a bad week, so it's the end of the world, or that you know, it's just what's going on in their life. James, I know you've got plenty of opinion about what you see online around how this impacts potentially the market or the world we operate in. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I think there's three, three. When we look back in 10 years' time, we'll look back on three pivotal years in the housing market over our generation. You're younger than us, Ben, so congratulations on not remembering 1991. <laughs> um, but I think it'll be 1991, 2008, 2023 as the three biggest pivotal moments in the UK property market. Um, and I think it's a time to analyse really the differences in those years, what caused them, uh, what caused the downturns in the market um, and how people reacted. And I think we have a, we, there's a standout year for me in 2008, which was paralysis. Um, so in 2008, the housing market stopped because there was just no mortgages around at all. There was no funding to buy houses. At one point, I think if you didn't have a 60 or 75% deposit, you couldn't actually raise a mortgage for a short period. Um, and the market was paralysed. In 1991, interest rates went up and they, they hit 15%. Anybody who's got a grandma or an elderly parent or, or whoever will all be hearing the stories right now. I remember, Ben, when interest rates were 15%. That's and, why I've got um, you three on here. That's actually what I say now. <laughs> well, I do, too. I started doing this in 1989. Yeah, and I got my first, first gig valuing because my boss pulled me into the office and said, I've fired the valuer. You're my cheapest member of staff. Go and do his appointments. So um, that, was, that was how I elevated my career. So it's panic versus paralysis. And what happened in 91 is people panicked. And I think what will happen towards the end of this year is people, as people come off their fixed rate mortgages, they will start to panic because the increase in their mortgage payments um, will be beyond an awful lot of people. And that will be really impactful. I really do believe that. Whether it forces them to 
sell their houses or sell their cars or a kidney or whatever they decide to sell, most people on fixed incomes will not be able to afford the increase in their household budgets that interest rates are bringing to bear. And that might create some panic. So what that will do, that will increase stock levels, which will create more competition for uh, the fewer buyers that are out there. And sadly, that will drive house prices down to a more affordable level where people can start buying again in the new interest rate climate. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say for now. Uh, I think, Angie, we need your opinion too. I think um, getting something that Simon said, you cannot control it. We cannot control the interest rate. But, you know, I'd wrote a little, the only little thing I wrote, the only thing I wrote at all when I sent your thing is that if you can be on the pot, piss on it or get off. And to be honest, a lot of these agents that have been there in the last 10 years have no idea. They are clueless. They're sitting there flapping around, going in, overvaluing, undercutting fees, thinking that the world's never going to stop. Well, actually, we all know it stops. And what you have to do, and if you haven't started, I mean, September, um, and you guys will probably have done the same, you start looking at your things you can control, your costs, your staffing levels, your costs, all the things just sort of bring it right down, get rid of all your fat, just look at it. Will the, in the interest rates, who knows? I haven't got a clue. But all I really give a toss about is being able to be the voice of experience, to be able to stand there in, in front of the camera. And before I came alive on here, I'd done a quick piece to camera. I was going to post it. I ran out of time where I'm just talking about the stats for this week as opposed to last week and the, sorry, last year, the year before and where we're going with it. And then interestingly, saying to people, it could be that you just want advice. You're on your fixed rate mortgage. It's coming to an end. Get in touch. Doors always open. We don't know what's going to happen. Something's going to happen. We know that for sure. They're certainly not going to go down. But you've just got to be there for people and to be that steady, reassuring hand. Because we all know, if you've been in it longer than Ben has, that the housing market still continues. It's, there are still buyers out there. There's still people with quite a lot of equity in there that need, that need to move, want to move. The desire to move is still there. And that's quite evident. Their ability to move might not be able to be in the in Chiswick, so they move to I don't know, yeah, where else is it? Ealing or something? Yorkshire, or a different area or something else. <laughs> oh, they will just move. So they're not desperate yet. Yeah, but they'll move. They'll just <laughs> find a way, won't they? If they've got to move because their family's expanding, they'll just change the criteria of what they're after to be able to to move. It's yeah, it's funny because. We all are, I used the word bias a minute ago, and I, I don't care who you are, everyone has this internal bias and they've learned it over the years. And you three have been through 91 and 2008. I launched my business in 2007, had a few years experience before that. So I'm about 20 years in and I look at the, the, the circumstances back then. We were a young growing business. We pivoted, we did different things. And I don't look on that period personally as particularly horrendous. We built our business in that market. So I'm not, you know, I don't look at this market and say, it's the end of the world as we know it. I look at it and say, oh, we had quite good times in 2008 without being, you know, thinking about the wider impact on other on people and, and what things were happening. And, you know, it was impacting families and this and that. But if I look at where we are right now, if I walk up Chiswick High Road, which is not a good, it's not a good example because it is a very middle-class area, wealthy area. But I'm from Brentford, which is a mile and a half down the road, which is a working class area. And I, yeah, I went to school in the middle of a housing estate. Um, it's not one of those, yeah, it's not a rocky story here. What I mean is, I've got I can look at both worlds, and in both worlds right now, 
people are still going out for dinner. They're still going to yeah. the pub. Yeah. They've still got bags and bags of shopping. They're still booking their summer holidays. So the cost of living crisis doesn't feel like a crisis on the ground. And I'm so, you know, yeah, there may be less, less buyers. Um, people are quoting maybe we'll do 20% less transactions this year versus last yeah, year. Yeah, I still think we need to be a bit careful here. Um, as they say, winter is coming. This is my personal view. Mm. I do think things are going to get a lot more difficult. I mean, remember, the motivation behind this is from the Bank of England, when they were given the ability to uh, adjust interest rates, I think by Gordon Brown um, originally, their sole objective is to control inflation. That's their objective, getting down to their target of 2%. To do that, they're using the very, very blunt and sometimes successful, sometimes not successful um, approach of increasing interest rates. And um, as we know, there are 13 increases. I, I, I do think things are going to get pretty challenging over the next few months. I agree. Um, it, it, it is a relative thing. Perhaps instead of buying at 500,000, people are buying at 400,000. But I do think it is going to be very, very challenging. And I do think... The problem is, Simon, nobody knows for sure. Correct. Nobody knows. And I agree with Ben. You can sit there and you can go, you look around your high street, okay? There's still people buying. There's still people going yeah. to restaurants, doing the bloody... I mean, God, what do they call it? Let's eat. Jesus, let's eat. It's obviously, I'm in Staffordshire. Let's eat. It's just crazy. They sit there and literally, it's not like London. You can walk 50 yards down the road and decide <laughs> to go and let's do what's eat. It's at people are still spending money. We do not know what's going to happen. And certainly in 2006 or seven, and I'm, I'm old, I, don't, I forget the dates, but you know, no one felt broke till you saw David Cameron or whoever it was on the telly saying the country's broke, the whole country's broke. And everyone went, we're broke six weeks and we didn't sell a house. Right. And then all of a sudden, everyone thought, oh, do you know what? I don't feel broke. I'm going to carry on. We carried on selling. 91 was more scary for me. It, than it, it was I, in 2008. You're, you're absolutely right, Angie. The, the world has become far more about convenience than anything else. So what's yeah. easy? I don't mind spending money on convenience. It's easy to order this or have that. Or, um, I, Simon, me and you were at the Finding Country Conference and the economist who stood up on stage said to everyone, we need some medicine right now. We need some unpleasant medicine right now yeah. to mm -hmm. prevent what could be a major issue down the line. Now, that was, was that four months ago? We had the, yeah, it was. Yeah, ago. Think, it? And yeah. as it happens, since then, the medicine hasn't been particularly painful. Life has been, as you said at the start, oh. your tickety-boo. And that's what life's been for the last few months. It seems in the residential property market, in the wider economy, yeah, inflation's up, but supposedly wage growth is up seven to eight percent. So, and what what this? I'm sorry to interrupt you. What what this really shows is that um, they're using the wrong tool. Um, they are, yeah, absolutely um, the wrong tool. I, I, I wrote I wrote to my MP last week, and he he said he had a meeting with the Chancellor on Monday. He was going to read read my letter to the Chancellor. I asked him not to include the expletive-laden uh, piece about what I thought of the Chancellor. Um, but um, essentially, um, that was a joke, by the way, uh, but essentially what I was really saying was that they're not using a range of measures to try and get inflation under, under control. They're just using an old-fashioned measure that they used yeah. in the early 1990s. It worked in the 1990s because so many people were on variable rates. Uh, the reverse is true now. Fixed rates exist, and 
We we go shopping still. We went to we went to the traffic centre in Manchester a couple of weeks ago, and it was packed. We were one of the last cars in the overflow car park. We arrived there forty five minutes after it opened. Um, but one of the things that is evident is that people are spending on frivolous things. They're not going out and spending on big ticket items at the moment. And so, yes, restaurants. But having said that, when we go to the local restaurants down here, the the average age of the people that we look around, they're not people with um, children. Uh, they are mostly retired people or single people on dates. We're not. Fi- I, I'm noticing a lack of families out there at the moment, and I think that's affecting the market as well. Because what we, in my business we, we're middle market. We 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 in our part of the world middle market three bedroom semis at two hundred and fifty three hundred thousand, for example, four bedroom detached house at four four twenty five. We're not selling three bedroom semi detached houses for people who are, who are trading up to four bedroom detached at the moment. The families that we're speaking to are not adding to their monthly budgets. They're all worried. Um, so this business of interest rates is actually removing aspiration for families, I think, at the moment. And it's and, and we should be using the tax system to um, get the older people, people with no mortgages, um, for example, um, to uh, to spend less because. They're, they're the ones with the money in our part of the world anyway. I don't know what it's like. I think it depends where you are, James, because I don't see that. Right, it's interesting. We, I see I that see in our, our area, yeah. You know, the the young families um, tend to not go out down the pubs, go to the restaurants here. They're all out in the beer gardens, mate, in their, completely different. their man caves and their bars. It's yeah, yeah. different. We've got a whole range of people. We don't particularly have the, um, the young families. That's because they are... In Weatherspoons, or they're up at in the house in their big gardens. That's it. Right. Fair yeah. enough. So, if you know what, what you guys have produced there is not evidence. It's just anecdotal stories. Anecdotal chatter. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Which is all just really waffle, mate. It's just waffle, which is waffle. waffle. Let's get some yeah. syrup on that. No. Um, okay. Right. I don't know about syrup. I would like to put some vinegar on this. Um, yeah. The government is determined. Through um, the fiscal measures they were adopting, specifically under all species of the Bank of England, to reduce inflation. It might be blunt, but that is what they're going to do. And if inflation stays as stubborn as it's at this moment in time, they will keep on raising that interest rate because there aren't very many other measures that they can do. I mean, the Chancellor, I understand. So the Prime Minister has been speaking with lenders to see if they can ease things a little bit. Well, I mean, ease means. They're not going to do it. I mean, they might be able to stretch out the moment a little bit. They might choose to do that rather than have to go down the repossession route. But um, pain is coming. Pain is definitely coming. Uh, I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you uh, negativity and positivity is an attitude. Um, and, Simon, uh, do, you know, do you mean, do you mean pay? Because we're working, it's an estate agency podcast. Are you referring to people or estate agents? Not that we're not people, but are you people, are, people, people, right? People, people, if it isn't hurting, it isn't working. Was there's a famous phrase from a few years ago from the politicians, and that's that it's got to hurt people. It's John got to hurt people. Uh, yeah, and anyway, using a phrase. Oh, sorry, sir. No, sorry, it will hurt estate agents. And, and I think the only way estate agents can protect themselves is to win as much business as they can at, at fee levels that, uh, uh, that are sensible. Uh, you know, in, in the early 90s or mid-90s, I ran an estate agent, one office estate agency for White Gates in Huddersfield. And the day I left, we had 562 houses for sale. Um, and we only we sold 40 or 50 a month. We only sold 10% of our rolling stock monthly because the market was hard back then. 
Um, so I yeah. see the way to protect your business right now as an estate agent, not an individual, as to try and get as much business in as possible, but of course not at the expense of your average fee. Would you agree with that? I think there's three things that you need to do. Those three things are apologies. You look at your cost base and not just, quick, not just have a quick skim and now actually, no, I think I'll stay doing this. No, really, really. In fact, get somebody else in the business so you don't look at it with some sort of confirmation bias. Get somebody else in the business to have a look and say, really, really, do we need that expensive photocopier? Do we really need to be a member of this, that, and the other? Let the, so have a proper analysis. That's the first thing that you need to do. The, the next thing that you need to do is look at your fee levels. Absolutely look at your fee levels. And again, I just don't have any... We, we, now, I, we now have a... Um, whenever I question other um, agents within my business and they lose a listing and I say, why did you lose that? And they'll say, oh, it's fees. Really? No, it wasn't. It was not fees. It, it all came down to fees. Strike would be the biggest estate agency in the UK. That's the only time I'll let any of my negotiators off is if they lose to strike, because it's very difficult to compete with free. If you didn't lose to strike, then you have absolutely, as my old grandmother used to say, oh, because you haven't sold a service proposition, because nobody buys anything just on price. People buy on value. So you need to look at your proposition. You need to look at your processes in terms of when you go out of the property, what you do prior to the appointment, what you do during the appointment, what you do after the appointment, how you're putting your value proposition across to people. Then you can charge sensible fees. And the final thing that I think you need to look at is additional income revenues, conveyancing, financial services, removals, all these other things actually have a massive impact on the bottom line. That's a, that's they haven't started it now, though, Simon. They're a bit off the bloody block. They should have started this as agents. We should have started this September. Because if they see it coming, then they're in trouble. No, I totally disagree with you. September last year. No, you're not. No, hold on. I'm going to tell you why I disagree. <laughs> Angela, you should have started doing this way before September of last year. Yes, I started last month. And it isn't too late for those agents that haven't done that yet. If they're prepared to be honest, if they're prepared to be truthful, prepared to face up to the reality and get their proposition home, get their fees up and look at auxiliary income, they can still turn this ship around. There are agents in this country who sit there and they still think life's going to be great. They're, they're in their little... Yeah. Those aren't they? They're like that. They're not yeah. in the head of it. So long may they continue. Good on them. That's not how I run my business. Right. Well, that has been a great first subject covered. No, not a great subject covered. Great first contributions from you three. Um, great takeaways. Uh, it, you know, do you ever do these things where you worry that you're teaching people to suck eggs? You know, we've come away saying you control the controllables. Make sure you're charging a reasonable fee. Make sure you get great processes. Make sure you're looking at your overheads. I mean, this is business 101, but it gets told time and time and time again. And three great agents on here. My business is all right. Um, good agents say the same thing all the time, don't they? Just mm -hmm. control these things which you have control over. Don't worry. You know, the wider world, there is going to be pain out there. If you're going to see 20% less sales, 30% less sales, just bring up the income levels via i mean I, I, simon I, i've forgotten who it is who does it but the blended fee is such a great way of looking at things every transaction offers you more than just a sales commission there's so much more to it but yeah great contribution guys thank you very much let's move on to one that i'm i 
I'm excited to hear about everyone's thoughts on licensing. So it's it's been in the trade press the last last couple of weeks. Yeah. It feels like it's been in the trade press the last 25 years. Licensing, the ongoing saga, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it a load of nonsense? Will it ever come in? If it comes in, what will it be? What are your thoughts, Angie? I'm going to kick it over to you first. Go on, James. Go on. Well, I'm going to try. <laughs> I want to know because because there's a big big industry event this week uh, and we should all be there today. None of us are, obviously. Um, and they're discussing licensing and um, Property Mark 1. So Property Mark should be the vehicle for licensing, some say. Some say it should be the RICS. I'm part of both. I don't quite know why sometimes. Um, <laughs> why aren't we at the big event and um, contributing to the debate at the Property Mark 1 conference then? So I'm going to tell you right now why I'm not, because um, I do all my content on a Tuesday and they wouldn't align their event with my diary. So how dare they? Fair enough. How but dare they? In truth, um, I think being in my business working, I, I see more value in this right now than attending an event. There's so many events at the moment. It's like there's one every week. I yeah. think you've got to be really selective, but you're absolutely right. It's being debated or, or discussed at Property Mark. Well, James, what do you think about licensing? Um, I'm, I'm a great believer in a professionalism in estate agency. I think a, a licensing would be a good thing. Um, I'd go one step further in terms of standards. And I've, I've gone on record as saying this before, that um, I, I, I disagree with agents being allowed to work both sides of the fence. And um, I, I, I would prevent estate agents from being property developers as well as estate agents. I think they'd have to be one or the other. I think there's a big problem with professionalism in this country. Uh, in agency, and uh, I think that's one of the one of the symptoms that can lead to bad behaviour. If you like, I'm not saying all estate agents who are dealing property are, uh, uh, you know, are doing it in a, in a, in, a, in a, the wrong way, um, or, or just to benefit themselves. But I, it's one of my benchmarks. I've I've never worked both sides of the fence personally, um, and I think that that goes hand in glove with professionalism um, and potentially licensing as well. So, do you oh, mean um... both sides? As in being jump. a buyer with your own business and selling with your own business, or would you be comfortable to have your own estate agency and then buy, develop in a different area of the world, maybe a different area of the country? Well, yeah, I don't think you can you can operate in your own patch, really. Um, I've seen too many estate agents over the years diddle old ladies out of houses at lower prices than they should, than they should have sold them for. Um, and as, as we've said, I've been around a long time, 34 years now. So uh, it's just my personal view. I know lots of people will disagree with it, um, but yeah, I think licensing is a good thing, and I don't think anybody should be uh, should be afraid of it. Too. Okay, personally, Angie, you think licensing a I good thing? I think that um, licensing definitely. Can we go on about the property mark thing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I spoke to Alex Tan because obviously I'm, I'm a member of the NAA, been for a number of years. Is it worth it? Absolutely not. Uh, I don't think that they bring much. I strolled up there year. I was saying this to Alex Tan. I'm going off the mark. I'm going off what I'm talking about now. Went in and said, think it's a late run by old blokes and it's a bit shit, really. So I'm a pay my money and I expected it to change and I didn't. Um, it didn't change. I went last year or the year before, wherever it was, post lockdown. I went in, thought, oh, okay, start chatting away. And I'm thinking, well, it's changed a bit. They've got a long way to go, property mark. I'm still a member of the NAA. They'll probably listen to this and boot me out. Um, it needs to be licensed. I joined the NAA because I wanted some sort of professionalism and it didn't arrive. I get more on online podcasts, listening to other people, listening to Ben, 
you, know, you can get training. There's loads of training everywhere. They need licensing, 100%. We need licensing. Are the NAA the right place, property mark the right place to do it? Don't know. But I think less of the RICS than I do a property mark. So are they either of them the right place to go? The problem with the RICS is they don't really represent estate agents at all. You know, I'm, 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 I suck RICS. Um, it benefits me in being able to do certain professional disciplines in terms of probate work, especially. Um, but um, as far as any content that they produce to support estate agents, I can't remember the last time. When, when you have to do the CPD for the RICS, you really struggle to find anything that the RICS have produced in the estate agency sphere that you can then use a CPD. So, for, for example, I'm going to a, a lettings um, training day with training for professionals on Thursday. Nothing to do with the RICS because I can't get that content from the RICS. So I'm having to pay to do it somewhere else as well as paying the RICS fee, if you, if you catch my drift. So, uh, but the, the National Association, I think with Nathan now, they've got a much better setup. Um, but, um, but, but for sure, I agree, Angela, you've got a long way to go. I do. I'm, so, I'm going to be really boring and say, unfortunately, I agree with uh, licensing. Oh, sorry. Oh, all right, move uh, on. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be a difficult one for me. I'm going to have to argue with all three of you. This is this is well, a horror show coming down imagine, the line. Well, you have to know, James, I do disagree with you on one point, which I will come back to in a moment. But um, I know there's a lot of debate, and normally I'm a free market sort of a girl, and I'm like, okay, let's just have everybody <laughs> just get in there, and the free market will sort it out. But sometimes free markets can become a little bit disparate and a little bit desperate um, and um, I, on balance, I know one of the arguments is, well, we don't want a barrier to entry, but I, I, uh, because you want to have plenty of competition, I still think there'll be plenty of competition. I do think it matters who delivers the, um, the, the, the exams, and I'm very open-minded as who that would be. I thought the proposals that were coming forward seemed very sensible, because they were over a long period of time, so um, it was over a number of years they were proposing to do it. You could qualify at different levels. I thought that sounded very good. James, if you don't mind me saying, I think you've got a bit confused between the licensing and the potential conflict of interest. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I'm confusing two issues. I agree, Simon, but it's just, just yeah. my, my moralistic standpoint. That's all I was uh, elevated there, really. Oh, they're very pious, are you? Very, very interesting. I'm impressed. But in reality, uh, first of all, under the Estate Agent Act, you are required to declare oh, any interest. So that should be an agency agreement. That has to be confirmed in writing. And certainly, as far as Thomas Morris is concerned, even if we have somebody who's a friend or a vague relative, we will state that on the sales particulars. And I ask, I'm sure the video changes. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm selling a, a member of staff staff as well. Yeah, so, so the legislation is already there in place. Mm. I think it would be very very difficult stroke impossible to have a situation where you could say you're an estate agent you can't be a for example charter surveyor uh, which um which which you touched on earlier i mean there's a potential conflict of interest anyway though in my view as long as you're open and transparent and comply with the law that's going to be enough that's just my view yeah trouble is not everybody is but, right the thing is though with the licensing you need something to be accountable to don't you and yeah it's going to stand there with the board and go, right, we're accountable, we're accountable to you, and we want to make sure, that's what the NAA was all about, and it was like setting the benchmark for people, and it's gone a bit blurry, somebody's got to take it by the balls and run with it, and let the consumer know that there's somewhere to go to. 
and that you've got a certain code of conduct. Well, you? I think to a degree. Um, first of all, could you leave my testicles out of this discussion? Now? So I appreciate you bringing them up. Um, well, you're but, a well, you're a sort of free will type of gal. Is that what you say? <laughs> <laughs> I think to a degree, the property ombudsman um, is something that I find most consumers are at least vaguely aware of, and perhaps predominantly are always. And they have a role to play as well in maintaining standards. Uh, I see that um, in today's one of the trade press publications today, another agent has been struck off um, from the property ombudsman, which means they probably won't be able to trade because I doubt if the other organisation that names escapes me, um, I doubt if they'll have the one board. So I think the property ombudsman, who I've got a lot of time for, but they have a massive, massive job. So and I, I think that's Trade. I mean, and I delight whenever we get complaints, because we do get complaints from time to time, and I delight in the situation of being able to say to people, look, here's our complaints procedure, that is a requirement under the property ombudsman procedure, this is what we'll go through, if we can't resolve it, we will issue you with our final verdict, our final viewpoint, which is something that is required by TPO, and then we'll refer it to property ombudsman. I mean, what a great scheme that is. But if you bring and it I back, sorry, Sammy, if you bring it back for some agents that haven't got a fecking clue, they join it because they just, because they know they have to be the property of them, not a fecking clue. They don't understand it. They don't understand agency. They have no morals. And that's what I find most frustrating. So, I think if you haven't got morals, though, you're in the wrong job. But then, yeah, but you can say that about everything, Angie. And that's, you know, yeah, people, well, I think people have, uh, are confusing what licensing potentially offers. There's a lot of conversation that licensing is going to clean up the industry. It's going to move out the people you don't want in the industry. There are doctors that murder people. There are nurses that kill children. They go through a lot of work to get in the position where they are. There are plenty of people whose moral compass points in a direction you might not agree with, which are happy to do qualifications to make a fortune or do things badly or do whatever they want. I don't see that licensing is going to clean up the moral side of the business. I but agree. Side, but from it's a probably, barrier to entry it's perspective, good point. yeah, it, you know, maybe from a barrier to uh, barrier to entry, possibly looking at London. I look out my window right now. We've got maybe twenty corporates. I, I could hit with a tennis ball. What's the argument there that a corporate would sign up to licensing and then what every new entrant is going to be licensed individually or these kids with no experience are going to come in and they're going to give them years to get qualified up. And so you've still got these kids who, and sorry, kids, actually you can join at any age and be a moron. You've still got these morons coming in, not well-trained, not their fault because they're not being shown how to do stuff, but they're doing things wrong. So the business is licensed, but the operators aren't. And so does that, what, what issues are we solving here? Because London specifically, lots and lots and lots of large corporates, not so many independents. I don't see it working very well where I operate, is the simple truth. I think you're going down a long line there with corporates versus independents. Um, I, I hear agents all the time um, correlate um, corporate agency with bad and independent agency with good. There's just as many crap independent state agents as there are corporate state agents. I to can, be so, honest. Simon, I completely yeah. agree. 100%. My argument was not that independence are high quality, corporates are poor quality. My point is more that the corporate structure, does that mean at a large brand level, they have to take on licensing and that at an entry level role, they don't? I can yeah, see but the licensing... Yeah, but the licensing proposals, as I understand them, I know they've been, well, I think they've been dropped now, but they're for individuals. You won't just have to have your own business license. You have to have the individuals operating right down to weekend staff at a certain level, at a certain licensing level, which I think is a good thing. 
I, well, I, and then I do see some real issues because um, I, I don't look out the window and see career estate agents. I see the vast majority in the world of estate. You're in it for a few years. They move on. It's a stopgap. I fancied a bit of sales. I came out of school. I don't know what to do with myself. Those guys are not going to go through any sort of licensing requirement to trade for a couple of years on something they're not sure they want to do. So that I could see being an issue locally to us. But I mean, the long and the short of it is, is it ever, ever going to present itself? You know, I'd, well, I, I, I'd just like to offer an opinion that I don't think it'll ever get over the finishing line, Mr. <laughs> to be honest with you. Whilst, and, 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 and I suppose in many respects, my firm, myself, uh, we're, we're, we're self-licensing with the affiliations that we have with the RICS uh, property market. Of course, we have to be part of the Ombudsman scheme. Um, so I think we pretty much are already, already licensed as a firm anyway, uh, and me as an individual. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with... Um, not being licensed insofar as if you conduct yourself properly. But I think if everybody does go down the license, if we do go down the licensing route, I think it, there'll be a problem with policing it anyway. And I think that's probably the bigger issue that there won't be the resources to police it. Um, and therefore, it probably won't have any teeth anyway. So, uh, yeah, but you know. I, I agree with you there, to be fair. But somehow, some way, most other, well, I don't know about most, but a good number. Of other uh, well developed economies have licensing, you know, Australia, mm -hmm. South Africa, um, America, they all have licensing. It will only work if it is anybody to pull up. I mean, we have a number of competitors, I'm going to be careful here, but we have a number of competitors who at least suspect, suspect, put houses on the market without doing the correct money, anti money laundering requirements. And sometimes 100%. we'll get. 100%. Yeah, and I, I find that absolutely abhorrent, massively irritating, and I think to myself, who can I report this to? Who can I report my suspicions to? And, and I genuinely don't know. And I've spoken to people like Paul Offley, and they've tried to help, but I think there ought to be a place where we can go and report our competitors. Lots of people are going to disagree with that, but if they're not... No, I agree. To, okay. um, it, it's a massive, massive and significant... Uh, competitive disadvantage and that's why i think that licensing at least the intent of licensing will raise the bar a bit hopefully but i'll take your point james about monitoring it i agree with you simon i think it will raise the bar you know even a bit a bit little bit it's not all yeah you know certainly not when i'm an agent but i think let's not making the moves towards it no, I think estate agents are already pretty good at dobbing each other into the powers that be at right move, don't they, when they see a double listing or uh, photographs that are appearing too many times, whatever it might be. So I think agents are already used to dobbing each other in, in some sort of format anyway. But, uh, uh, yeah, but who do you report AML to? AML to? Nobody. No, yeah, that's it. Nobody, nobody, there's nobody to listen to you. I mean, I could be wrong here, but when I read about some of the agents that have been reprimanded um, uh, and even uh, fined for not sticking to anti-money laundering procedures, um, the only ones I've seen is not being registered to an anti um, um, to, to the I've not seen anybody who has not carried out the correct IDs, who has not been able to land and name their anti-money laundering reporting officer, not being able to confirm a fit that they've done on the these are all requirements. Training, knowing your, knowing your the name at least of your anti-money laundering reporting officer. All these things are basic stuff. I'm not aware. I mean, I really hope I'm wrong, um, but I'm not aware of anybody that has been in trouble for for those things. The only things I'm aware of is where they've not registered themselves. 
And that, that's really, really basic stuff. Yeah, well, I, I know one firm who, and I won't name that firm, who had the HMRC oh, wow. crawling, crawling all over their files for about six months. Not that yeah. they'd done anything wrong at all, but uh, they just wanted to pick on a lo local firm to uh, to have a root branch inspection of. And the anxiety that it caused that firm was extraordinary. And they, they yeah. didn't have any sanctions, no fines or anything, because they'd not done anything wrong, good for them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there was, it was just a spot inspection. It was quite interesting. And, it, and but that's the risk with having a you can report your your suspicions here that you know we talk about moral compass well there will be agents that will take advantage of that opportunity to dob in an agent that's done nothing wrong i think that market leader over there who just won an instruction off me who's doing a bit of business is misbehaving let's send in someone to make a massive distraction for them that's you know that and that's yeah i know I, it's, I it's that, vindictive yeah. and horrible but um yeah uh, is what agency is uh, that I'm afraid there's plenty of people out there who will use whatever means possible to get the up hand over a competitor. Um, right. Or, well, not right or wrong. There's no question. It's wrong, but it is what it is. Right. I'm going to wrap up subject number two. Um, hey. Every week I forget to do this. So if you're watching, if you're still watching, firstly, thanks mum. But can you like subscribe, engage, even if you've really hated this, it doesn't matter. Hit that like button and tell us you've hated it and tell us why you've hated it because us four will be happy to respond to any opinion you have. <laughs> um, we are very, very happy to hear feedback as long as you're happy to have a response. Um, so we're going to move on to Sam Offley, Agents Together. Um, great charity, great initiative. If you think you would benefit from having a mentor or benefit from being a mentor, which I would absolutely recommend experienced high-quality agents do, Reach out to Sam Offley. It's a fantastic initiative. Um, every week he presents a current issue. Now, Sam's a little unwell at the moment. So rather than present the issue uh, with a video, he's messaged me the issue. And the issue this week that some of his mentees have mentioned is that they're struggling to switch off when they go home. They're taking their work home with them and they're letting it maybe stress them out. And look, I, I, I can put my hand up to that one. I've experienced that for yeah. the last 20 years. So I might not be the best person to offer up some advice here. But guys, any advice on how agents can switch off uh, when they when they get home, dinner table, leave the office, whatever you might be? Anyone want to? Yeah, the flip part. I'm going to go on, Angie first. first. I'm going first, James. Angie first. The flip part to that, okay, is that you're probably in the wrong job because it is a you just love it. You either love it or you hate it. And I'm probably like you, Ben. I'm just in the person who does never switch off. I never switch off because I love it too much. Um. So let you go on now, James, because I have no answer for that at the minute. Okay, well, you can control some of this um, because I've, I've, I've read a piece on this just recently because something I, I did was I turned off notifications on my mobile for the alerts, for emails and absolutely everything. So um, it hasn't stopped me checking, but I'm no <laughs> longer a slave to my mobile. So if I'm if I if uh, what what I found was there was there was no respite from it, um, and um, I did I did a piece last year. Um, it was earlier this year when it snowed a lot, and we did a, a social media piece, and it taught me a lesson. We I got five and a half thousand notifications in twenty four hours to my mobile phone. Uh, we ran a snowman competition, and everybody was sending in uh, photographs of their snowman in the local village community. We've got two or three villages at this. And uh, it was great for our social media presence and our profile. Um, 
but what 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 I was getting through was all the likes and comments and everything from all of these contributors. Um, and eventually, I nearly threw my, my my phone in the washing machine. It was just so horrendous. But but what I found lately is by turning off the notifications, so every time I get an email, every time I get a Facebook or a LinkedIn or anything, um, uh, my 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 quality of life's improved, and also my mental health's improved as well. I don't feel as though I'm a slave to to my phone anymore. Um, still look, and it's the last thing I do before I go to bed is look at our info account, see how many how many viewing requests have come in before bedtime. Um, um, uh, that sort of stuff but um, but yeah I think you can control it if you try to uh, divorce your telephone a little bit well, I can do both sides of the fence here I, I, I like you I mean I just so love what I do uh, I am probably literally addicted to being an estate agent because I love it I love the highs I hate the lows but I love to have the lows so I can experience the highs and I just need that hit all the time what's been happening on Twitter what's been happening on Facebook has somebody responded to my email? Has that vendor I went down to see, potential vendor, come back and said, I can have it? What, what is that? I just can't stop myself. That said, I, I mean, I work seven days a week, not because it's a pain, it's because I just utterly love it. And I can't imagine getting up on a Sunday and having a lie-in. I just can't imagine it. So I love what I do, so I don't find it a problem. That said, I have, I mean, I'm not trying to stereotype, which obviously means I'm going to stereotype, now, but I have noticed, I have noticed a significant change in the younger generation. They seem, uh, uh, they they seem much more focused, and I include my own children uh, in this, and the younger people at Thomas Morris. They do seem much more focused on getting the old work-life balance thing right, and it's very difficult to argue logically against that. And you know, there's a bit of me that sort of admires them that they can switch off. But, but my view is, simply, it's like the people that whinge all the time about the brilliant company, which I absolutely love, the brilliant company is right move. Whinge, 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 whinge. We don't use them then. Yeah, we got to use right move. No, no, you don't. If you don't want right move, get the fuck out of here and go and play with another toy. That's what I think about right move. It's exactly the same with somebody who says they're difficult in switching off. Well, switch your, switch your emails off, switch your phone off. Don't, don't do it then. I don't agree with you, Simon. I agree. My daughters are 24, 25. They don't have social media. Not really interested in it. And they just pretend, they, well, they just tend to talk now. They tend to talk to yeah. Rav, I don't know, is it called, not Snapchat, something you take a photo of at the minute and then... TikTok. Snapchat, I think. Uh, is not it... TikTok. It's not Snapchat. Can't bloody remember what it is. They take... Oh, there you go. Somebody's in the corner. Be real, right? That's well, what's that? Another one. <laughs> right, another one. No, listen, they have a thing and it goes boom. And then wherever they are, they've got a group, right? So it's a bit like our WhatsApp group. So basically, take a picture, whatever they're doing at that moment in time, they just send it out to each other. So they could be doing whatever, sat on the loo in the kitchen making dinner. Don't matter. That's it. That's a new thing, right? So they're not into the social media. Yeah. I, Simon, I'm addicted to it. I love it. However, when I'm on holiday, I stop all my emails to my phone. Um, you can put the phone away. You can just turn it off. Yeah. Nothing's stopping you. Turn yeah, it. just do it. It's this. It's this that's why you're No, nothing's stopping you. Just do it. No. And, and, and that's probably not the nice, cuddly thing that, that Sam wants to hear. It, it so, is. yeah, let, 
for the industry, isn't it? Just turn your phone off, Ben. Yeah, let, me, let, let me soften it up because we've got three hard asses on here and the mentees are asking for help and you three are saying piss off and do something else. So <laughs> um, I think we'll probably pull it back a little bit and I'll, you know, some advice, guys. Um, you whatever, off, you, whatever you're thinking about, it's going to be there tomorrow. So there's no point stressing mm. through the night about a situation you've got to do in the morning. Just deal with it in the morning. Nothing is ever as bad as you think it is. I can assure you, if it really is that bad, my phone number is 07957203003. I have dealt with every dog shit situation in the state agency, and so have these three, and there's yeah. always a solution. So it's never as bad as you think it is. Turn off your notifications. Yes, James, I've listened to a brilliant podcast a few weeks ago, and it wasn't about, it was just about general notifications and how there's only so many dis- good quality decisions we can make each day. You know, the, you, there's a limited amount of capacity. Yeah. yeah. And so if every day you're looking at notifications, like I've turned my Sky News off, I refuse to have Sky News bug me with bad news every day. Yeah, me too. And so I've turned right down the number of notifications because I just find that between four and six, I've still got more mental sharpness than if I'm looking at Summit every few minutes. Then to interrupt you, I, I, I had a pint, although I don't drink anymore, which is also helpful for one's mental health. Um, I'd, I had a pint uh, a couple of years ago with a psychologist who told me that your brain can actually be full, a bit like a computer hard drive. So what you have to do is knock things off, create a list of all the things that are creating that anxiety, and deal with them one by one. I was going, because I said to him, I said to him, we'd finished playing golf. And I said, you know, my brain, I can't cope with anything more. And he, he said, well, tell me about your stresses in your life. So I was going, uh, finalising a divorce. I was publishing my first children's book. Uh, I was opening the business. So this is actually seven years ago. Uh, I was opening the business. Uh, there were all, I was finalising a degree. Um, there, were, there were all these things that were happening in my life. And then you've got children and you've got family and you've all those other things. And he said, what you need to do is write a list and just deal with them. Stop trying to do it all at once and yeah. and, and create some space in your, in, in your, your grey matter, if you like. A bit Ironically, like clearing your desktop on your computer. Yeah. Ironically, these people are talking about feeling a bit out of control, which is what they're saying. And I, I do understand that. I really do. And I actually sympathise and empathise with it. But ironically, they need to exert a bit of control on the situation and stop the things that are um, overtaking their, 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 their private lives. At the end of the day, right, you're all there and you've had that email at five o'clock at night or half five or six o'clock and your f-ing world's ending because your vendors pulled out a sale or, or something. Yeah. And you, you pity your stomach and you think, shit, I've got to let that person know. The, the only advice I have, Turn your phone off. If you leave your bloody phone at work, then stop looking because that's the only way that you will yeah. decompress your brain. Just I don't have it by your bed. Do what, babe? Don't have it by, I your, don't bed. Have it well, by your bed. That, I mean, at 10 o'clock at night, my yeah. comes off my phone. It goes all black, um, or you know, black and grey, sorry, grey even. Um, it goes grey. At the minute, I've got to keep my phone on because I'm in at home. But ordinarily now, I just turn the phone off. Talk to somebody. That's a bit of practical advice. A lot of companies have situations where they've got helplines of people you can talk to. If they haven't, speak to somebody. Have the have the the guts to stand up and speak to your boss or your colleague and say, "Hey, I'm finding this a bit difficult." It's very very rare. Even old gits like me, and I can drop you in 1989, James. I started in 1983. Even old gits like me, unless you've got a heart of stone. You're going to listen and empathise with the person. So the most important bit of advice probably is tell somebody about your stresses and strains. I'm going to, I'll, I'll contradict you there, Simon. Uh, a friend of oh. mine, um, 
was fired last week for having a suicidal episode and rang I in I heard say, that. I heard you. You must have read that or I listened to something that you said about that the other day. And, wow. and, and she was fired four, four weeks before the end of the first two years of service. Hmm. Was that in a state agency, James? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness, mate. Getting back to you've got. Well, I would. That's terrible. I like to think that's that's a rare occasion because rare. Yeah, out of the four of us, we're all going to do what Simon says. We're all going to empathise. We're going to help them work through it. It's a rare case when you find a scumbag as hardcore as that. I think. Yeah. yeah. I also Um, think that. Sorry, Ben. Go on, Angie. Go on. Bit to this, I think that like Simon, like Simon says, um. (laughs) <laughs> people to talk to the great thing what i love about this industry now and social media have really brought all this together is people are willing to talk they are willing to message people and there's people like me and james and ben and, and everybody simon not so much but you want to um, you can connect with people can't you you yeah. do connect with mm-hmm. people you feel like you know them yep. and they message you and that's what's called being on social media they can message you and i'm love this industry that much probably like you simon that you're happy to keep your mobile phone there and yeah. anybody at any time of night because i want to and like you ben yeah. in there we've been through every bloody horrible thing ever to happen in state agency world we've been there yeah we've all worked through it there's no new problems arriving they're not your no. own problem they've been someone else's in the past and there'll be somebody else's in the future it's just, just got to work through it. Um, the discipline, if you don't want to deal with it in the evening, the discipline to stay away from your phone. But the, the major thing is there's a lack of discipline in society. You don't want to be bugged, but you won't put your phone down. You want to lose weight, but you won't go for a run. There's plenty of, you know, so <clears throat> you have control, take control. Let's move forward because Sam Offley's piece is normally 30 seconds. We've just done 10 minutes. That's good. <clears throat> Excuse me. So next up, um, I'm going to ask each of you, so just talk about one great agent maybe you've worked with, maybe you're working with, maybe you've seen from afar. We've already talked about social media sort of allowing us to be aware of more agents in the industry. The reason for this piece each week is that our viewers can jump on social media and follow these great agents and see what they're doing and maybe get ideas and think about the great things that they could be doing in their own businesses or on a day-to-day basis. If we could partner this, because I'm conscious of time with the great agent and why they're great. And also one piece of advice you would offer agents right now, as it happens, we have, you three have offered up loads of great advice so far today. But if there was one thing you would say to agents right now, where there maybe their focus needs to be, what would that be? Um, Don't start with me. Don't start with me. Bradders, you're up. Well, the person I would say, who I most admire as an estate agent, uh, and I've been really privileged to work alongside him, is Sean Newman. Uh, he's a fellow, um, as, as, as yourself, a fellow finding country licensee. Uh, I've known Sean now on and off for sort of 20 years. He is such an inspirational guy to speak with, such an inspirational guy to meet with, and such an inspirational guy to exchange ideas with. He was one of the first agents that really, really put across to me the importance of being entrepreneurial, of taking risks. Now, some of the things that Sean has done have not worked out well business-wise. But he doesn't take, doesn't let him hold it back. He continues to try new stuff. He was one of the very first agents to use the self-employed model for individuals. 
that had its that had its success and it's now a predominant model. Well, perhaps not predominant, but it's certainly a very popular model. He was one of the first people that I knew that really, really started to do work in the community. He inspired me and Thomas Morris to do the community work that we did. Lots of stuff for charity. And also one thing that he's always stood for is really, really good fees. Please over volume is something that Sean Newman's always, always stood for. Uh, I find him really, really approachable. Uh, we, we have a difference of opinion on a number of things, but most of the time I agree with him. And he, for me, pound for pound, if you're going to follow an estate agent that's seen it all, done it all, had success and failure, then Sean Newman of Finding Country and Human Property Services, or property experts, sorry, he's the man to follow. Great shout. Sean Newman is an inspiration. He is an absolute beast when it comes to entrepreneurial side of business. Um, and Simon, your one piece of advice to agents where they should focus their energy right now, what would the one piece of advice be? Training, coaching, all the time. Get feedback from your colleagues. Get feedback from professionals. Get feedback from your subordinates. Get feedback from people that are above you. Just get feedback, feedback, feedback all the time. Be honest about it. Be honest about yourself. Work, obviously, on your strengths. Be aware of your weaknesses. Constantly be coaching. Const there was so many training and coaching resources out there now, lots of which are actually free, that you've got no excuse. No excuse at all. So be self-aware. Be constantly training, coaching, and putting yourself. Thank you very much. Great advice. Completely, 100% agree. I just wonder if you've stolen Angie or James's, because this happens every week. We see a flash of the eye. Oh, I was going to say that. Um, who would like to go next? I'll go next. <laughs> yeah, Angie needs more time, don't you, Angie? <laughs> no, because I'm, I thought, okay, I'll do the wrapping up bit. Oh, go on, then, you girl. do the wrapping up bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I've got several key contributors to my career. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, before I say this, I'm going to say that I read a post yesterday, I think it might have been by, been by Chris Watkin, that said that the, 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 the best estate agents are the silent ones. So um, I know some of the best estate agents I've ever worked with are now dead because I've been doing this for so long. Um, my very first boss was a guy called Simon Flatley. And I'll never forget Simon because he was way ahead of his time. So 1989, upfront fees, long before Purple Bricks, 199. Um, come back to the market as many times as you want. That's all you paid, 199 quid. Um, I think you went bust in 1993. That was 12 months after I'd left. But we did video. We did video in 1989. I went round the houses with a massive camcorder. Simon would drive me to this before I passed my test, and we'd spend an hour videoing your house, Ben, uh, with a huge TV camera on the shoulder. And in our office, we had two t TVs, oh, sorry, one big TV screen and two cinema chairs. And we would put, you won't even know what I'm about, about to say. We put a VHS cassette into a young. video recorder <laughs> <laughs> and play people the videos of the houses. And then they could borrow the key for five quid and go and have a look themselves <laughs> if they wanted to. So that that was Simon. Um, so uh, upfront estate agency fees, videos, 1989. Everybody who thinks they're doing it now, well, they're way behind the times. So uh, I'm not sure. I'm not advocating lending people the uh, keys to houses for a five. Um, somebody who's really uh, pivotal in my career, um, guy called Richard Powell from Ryder and Dutton. Simon, you'll know Richard, I would think. Uh, yeah. He's retired now. I was a partner with him. I was a partner at Ryder and Dutton for 15 years, nearly. Um, and uh, yeah, 
things ended for whatever reason, but Richard was a significant uh, factor in, in my career. Uh, and he was always ahead of his time. And what he always taught me was even if you agreed, make sure you disagree. And this is my point. Even if you agree with what's being said, argue the other side so that you've taken all parameters into, oh, into consideration. Great that's, that's where I'm going to leave you. Even if you agree, try to disagree to so make sure you've thought of everything. Devil's advocate role. Completely uh, great advice. Um, and what your one piece of advice for agents? Up and down That's the road it. Right now. Oh, that is the actual advice. Oh, you read oh, that together so beautifully. It just went straight over my head. Wow. Yeah. Blonde moment. Um, that is a great piece of advice. <laughs> and put us back I from the no, depths. Unlike everybody else, and I think I said this to you off camera, Ben, and I stumbled into agencies. You always do. I worked for Prudential. I was a PA and then, you know, the housing market crash hit. And I just said, can I go and run that office? And, and literally that is what I did. I had no experience whatsoever. I just went on the job. So I have no agents that I ever worked with. I never worked with the manager. I was it. I came from being a PA to being a manager of a, an estate agency office. So um, my experience is all man-made experience or woman-made experience. And that is about good old level, good old customer service. That's all I give a about, pleasing the customer. And then I just went on training courses and did all of those things that that really you should be doing and you should be doing now. So I am good old fashioned estate agent about what they should be doing. I agree with Simon. I've wrote down here, be brave, be yourself, be authentic. Training, 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 listen to others, podcasts, get online, learn. You need to learn as much as you can from old fossils, from the new, from the newbies. They've got things to learn as well. I <clears throat> Absolutely adore social media. James, I love what you do. I sit and watch what you do all the time. Michelle Gallagher, I sit and watch what she does. Never met her, I watch what she does. There's so much good content out there that it is all there, but it, it all boils down to whether you give a shit about people. Because if you don't care about people, you're absolutely in the wrong job. And I said before we went on camera, if they're on the pot, they need to piss on it or get off because it's a bumpy ride coming. Just be authentic, be yourself, just be present. Wow, what a finish. What a big finish, Angie. Simon, James, it's been wonderful. It's been, yeah, I think it's been my most enjoyable so far. Three highly experienced, highly opinionated, um, really, really, really good agents that know their stuff and talk about the right stuff. Um, Guys, if you're still watching, if anyone is still watching, subscribe. My piece of advice to agents is always watch this because you get three people like this, an hour and 15 minutes of pretty good agency chat. That's hard to beat. If you could, how much would people charge to be in a room where you three were educating them a fortune? Get it for free online. Maybe not you, James, but certainly Angie and Simon. Thanks very much. Send me a fiver. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm fairly cheap. <laughs> now, guys, it's been great. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. Like, subscribe, usual stuff. Um, finally, thank you from me for you guys for appearing and being on it and being brilliant. We're going to say goodbye now. Watkins is going to sign us out with his weekly Watkins whimsy, which is really easy for me to He's say. He's a property mark, by the way, guys, today. I bet yeah, he is. Of course he are, is. Are the old agency tart. He's everywhere, isn't he? There's he's only us that's not there. there. <laughs> right. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks very much, Ben. Cheers. Of the last 53 valuations or market appraisals that you have done, how many of them have come from your direct actions? 
When I mean direct actions, I mean you've knocked on the door, you've sent them a letter, you've worked them on the database. They've contacted you personally on social media or sent you a DM via your mobile phone or other such social media platform. You see, I'm of the opinion that the vast majority of estate agents don't actually know where most of their valuations come from. And if the market's going to harden, it's going to turn into a buyer's market. And even if it is a buyer's market, you still need the damn good listings. If we are going to have a downturn, yes, house prices will probably dip. But the big one is going to be transactions. And what are you going to do to get your fair share of those valuations? The good listings that will turn into good sales. They're going to be gold dust. The last couple of years, any old stuff would sell. It's going to be could It could become hard work. What are you doing to generate the business that you so richly deserve? Have a think about it. And think about where your valuations came from. Chris out.